Thank you, Born. That's one of my favorites. Susan says you got to not go on too long. I always look at my notes and think this will take 10 minutes, you know, when I look at my notes. And, and uh, never, it never quite happens that way. But uh, so I'll, I'll try to be uh, respectful of your time. But let me open in a bit of prayer. And Father, I pray that you would help me uh, bring forth your truth from your word and, and from experience and, and and your spirit will speak to the people and to me, and we will all learn something, and we all ch be changed having been here today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And we can turn, we can turn uh, to Luke 15, and that'll be the bulk of my text. It's in the bulletin that way, and but I'll be branching out from there because it, uh, you know, there's, there's a, uh, only one way to really interpret scripture, the term called her hermeneutics, and you know, the, the scripture is obviously being interpreted by the understanding of the people's, the words in the original Greek is what, and, uh, and the understanding of those people is really how to interpret scripture, and other scriptures help you interpret scripture. And, and so, uh, but it's very important to, to get it right, to, to always uh, uh, use scripture as a, as a basis of anything we're doing, because otherwise we're just making stuff up. <laughs> it's just uh, gospel according to Doc Carver, you know, it's not, not any good. But I'll read, uh, I'll read through this, since it's a sermon, not Sunday school, I'll do all the talking. And uh, in Luke 15, uh, Jesus just, uh, you know, we can tend to have a caricature of Jesus. We can kind of make Jesus into our own image, and he's a nice guy, and we can pick and choose pieces of the gospel. And the thing is, those pieces are correct. There's things that everybody likes what Jesus said, but then there's other stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's a little tough, and and it's the same Jesus. So if you just pick out your favorite verses and look at them all the time, you're not really getting a good understanding of how God's wired and his, and how Jesus, who, who this person really is. And, and, uh, and that's really how I develop my relationship with Jesus and my love for him was based on scriptures. You know, it wasn't based on some emotional service, really. It was, uh, I just started seeking him in the scriptures out of fear, you know, I may bring that up at some point, but at some point, it's the fear of the Lord that, that really brings on revival, whether it's personal revival or big-time revivals. It, it begins with fear. And do I fear God's going to zap me if I step out of line? No, it's not that kind of thing. It's, it's a, but it's a fear that you're, you're, you're not in God's grace. You're not living for him. You're, you, you know, you, you, it's, a, it's, it's taking this thing real seriously. That this isn't just uh, something we add to our resume, you know what I mean? I went to medical school, I, I got saved, and blah, 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 blah. Just add it to your CV, you know. The, oh, yeah, back then I said a few good words in a service, and so, you know, I got my, I got that done. No, this is, 
Jesus really lays out something much bigger. You know, and I think, I think because things have been sort of good in America, very, very uh, free country, relatively speaking, and, and uh, we're very prosperous and uh, like, like never seen in history. Uh, you know, church can, has devolved a lot. You know, the people aren't really fearful. They're not desperate. And, uh, and so therefore you become complacent and uh, uh, this is something we do for a couple hours on Sunday, maybe. And that's it, because we're doing pretty good. We're not hungry. We're not fearful of not pleasing God or, or Barnwell's teaching about the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit. And, you know, in, in preparing a sermon, a preacher will tell you this, you, you have to confront yourself. You have to look at Scripture and look at it really critically and, and then you look at yourself in contrast you're thinking I need work <laughs> that happens to me every time I read the scriptures I see the truth and I think I got some work to do I I'm not I'm I'm not uh, I'm not up to this standard and uh, you, it's just the way our our body our, our brains work that's why we go to church we get a reminded of stuff we tend to drift not deliberately but we're not reminded and we're not, this stuff isn't continually in the forefront of our thinking. It becomes uh, relatively irrelevant in our lives. So Jesus uh, has been alternating, between, you know, he, he just, he, some of his sermons that were pretty brutal. And uh, so, the, and he get, he's drawing crowds, like he'll feed a couple chapters ago, he fed thousands. So that tends to draw a crowd. Food <laughs> draws a crowd. And miracles draw a crowd. And so a lot of it's, a lot of these people are rubberneckering gawkers. So he said, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be his, my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be this disciple and he explains it it sounds it's like what he explains it he's talking about do you, how much do you love me and what are you willing to do for me are you willing to die for me you know and and it's not just uh, and it can be suffer too you know uh, you know dying isn't as hard as suffering i don't think you know if uh, if someone put a gun to your head it's fairly brief you only have to be brave for couple seconds but if you're suffering for Jesus it's a whole different thing he says suppose one of you wants to build a tower he'll first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it for if he lays a foundation is not able to finish it everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying this fellow began to build and wasn't able to finish or the king about to go to war against another king he'll sit down first and see if he's able with 10,000 men to a Oppose another king with 20,000. And if he thinks that he's not able, he will get a delegation while the others are still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, he's trying to give them examples. What, like, what, what are you talking about? He says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he or she cannot be my disciple. And uh, he's, he's kind of laying this out. He doesn't want us to hate our parents or hate anybody. Just in, in, in con he's making a contrast. It's like uh, what we call hyperbole. You know, uh, just
just like sometimes we, we use that all the time. Like, uh, you know, this, this pizza is to die for, or this cream cheese. You know, I mean, you always say stuff like that. To, you know, it's a, the corned beef sandwiches up in Cleveland are to die for. Well, they're not to die for. You're not going to die over a corned beef sandwich. But they're pretty darn good. And uh, so people use hyperbole all the time. And uh, it's, it's figures of speech. And, and, you know, we are to interpret the Bible literally, but you have to recognize figures of speech. And he's talking about relatively speaking. Now, most people love their parents and the, or their wives, or he's talking to the guys a lot, or their husbands, or their children especially, or brothers and sisters. We, we tend to love them all. That's kind of the center of our world is our family. We tend to love our family more than, than anything. And, uh, but he, he's talking about a love that compared to that love that most people have, uh, you know, back in those days, they didn't have a whole lot of assets. You know, they, they, people, people were barely surviving. They were living hand to mouth a lot of times 2,000 years ago. They didn't have heated homes and cars and all this stuff. So their families was, was kind of their asset and their livestock and land. It's all they had. And uh, so everybody can relate to these concepts of loving your, your wife or your kids. And, you know, you, you've seen a lot of times, particularly mothers with children, it seems like, you know, they'll walk through fire. You know, if the house is burned down and the kid's screaming in there, think the mother's going to sit out there and think, man, I might get burned. I ain't going in there. No, they'll, moms will march through fire to, to rescue their children. That's because of love. They're not brave. They're probably afraid of their own shadow. But, but, but because of love, you have superseding attitudes. My love for that child is greater than the, my fear of being burned in a fire, which is real. You know, so you got flames coming out the windows. It's a dangerous place. So we're talking about love that, that supersedes other love. And, uh, and that's what Jesus is. It's almost like, but this is it. He's, he's not saying, well, this is this would be a good idea. I, I kind of recommend you love me a little bit, you know, but no, this is, a, this, is a, this is it. This is the level of commitment I'm expecting from you. And, and the thing is, that type of thing, that type of love, we'll get into how to get there, uh, but there's a cost to discipleship, to following Jesus. And, and uh, it's not too dear in, in America, but talk to people in China that get their social credits uh, taken away, you know, or, or they uh, are often in Russia, if you have a Bible study, the KGB will be in there and kick your door in and, and beat the snot out of you. It, I knew an ex-KGB agent, and that's what he did. You know, his name was Sergei. And Sergei was a buddy of mine back in the 70s, and he used to break up Bible studies. You know, not even churches. It was just home Bible study. That's how evil communism is and socialism. It's always been on, uh, it was a, a concept from the devil and uh, to, to control people and eliminate uh, the church. And uh, the idea that it's okay, no, it's, sometimes it's, it's brought on gradually like the frog in the kettle, but uh, ultimately they always look, they always, it always ends up like this. You know, like in China and Russia, you have degrees of it, but their ultimate goal in a socialist state is to, uh, 
control everything, including your thoughts and mind. And that had been causing, and, and what caused Sergei to get converted was that after beating this woman up brutally, he, he heard about another uh, Bible study. And, and uh, so he kicked the door in and went in there so many weeks later, and that same woman was sitting there that he just beat up badly a few weeks earlier. Yeah, I figured that'll teach her to have a Bible study. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, this is Russia. Terrible place. And uh, he thought, oh, my gosh, this must be something. And that's true everywhere. When people undergo persecution, the church grows fast because they're like, this is real. There's something here. You know, we don't see that in America. So you wonder why things are, the church attendance is dropping off rapidly with each generation. It's, it's just terrible. And preachers talked about this. Pastor Maletti, it's a big burden of his because he sees, he's a younger guy and he sees the younger generation you know, just, it's just terrible. And, uh, but they don't often see Christianity at work. They don't see people actually being willing to, to die for their faith, like in North Africa and much of Asia, where it's, uh, it's life-threatening to have a, uh, to meet, you know, to, or to even say uh, Jesus is Lord, as opposed to any number of things, so Muhammad or, or uh, yeah, there is no God, and so there's a cost of discipleship. You know, salvation is a gift. It's free, but there's a cost. In other words, it's not just re, 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 repeat after me. And a lot of times we see these evangelism things. This, you just say this prayer and you'll be saved. And yet it certainly salvation begins with a prayer. It begins with a commitment. But uh, you wonder why a lot of people, you know, hear the good news and fall away, uh, like the rocky soil parable. Well, they're never really taught that this is not just repeat after me type stuff. You're really throwing your hat in the ring when you follow Jesus to be his disciple. And and the Great Commission, we, we, we hear that. The Lions Church, we're into evangelism. We're evangelicals here. We believe we're here to spread the gospel, all of us, not just the ministers and the full-time missionaries. We're all here on this earth to be salt and light, right? Everyone. And many times you're, there's individuals that they're in a world that no one else can penetrate, you know, that it's basically churchless. And for me, a lot of times it's intensive care, seeing all the drug overdoses and some of the characters I get to meet you know, in the hospital, uh, they would never go to church, but you can talk to them. And you know, a strange thing, they sometimes start going to church after that. These are terrible people, but they hear the truth and, and, uh, and they know they're bad. They're really not as hard, to, hard nut to crack as people that are successful. They think they're fine. There's nothing more frightening to hear someone say, I'm fine, when you're talking about their eternal destiny. That scares the heck out of me because uh, they're in trouble. I've known people like that. I'm fine. I'm fine. And you try to tell them that, you know, you're not the judge. And I often tell people, uh, you know, where do you want to be in 100 years? And you're, they're already 50, 40. Huh. I won't be here. Yeah, where do you want to be? <laughs> you know, because, oh, there goes my watch. 
I better put it on or I'll lose it. I'll try not to. But anyhow, you know, Judgment Day is coming for everyone. And, and I think we, we need to be looking forward and we need to be looking forward to that. And, and people need to realize that this, this world we're in, is, we're, play, we're playing for keep. And, and I remember driving to Linda's one time up Cambridge Road, I had Christian radio on, WCRF, and preacher got on. And, uh, you know, sometimes I, I just listen to it for two, three, five minutes at a time, and I'll hear something that changes my life. It's a wonderful station to have that radio. And uh, uh, at one point he, you know, asked the radio audience, are you satisfied with your walk with Christ? And immediately, no one's in the car, I'm just by myself. It hit me through, be, right between the eyes. And I said to this speaker in my car, no. I didn't know where this guy was going. But he, it really convicted me that I'm not satisfied with my walk with Christ. And uh, not knowing what he was going to say next, it just, it just came out of me. No one heard me. But, you know, it's basically this fear of the Lord. Again, I'm not afraid of hell. I'm just afraid of, of departing, grieving my Holy Spirit that Barnwell's teaching about. I have a fear of failure. And you all know I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of bullets or been in a lot of bad situations. A lot of people tried to kill me back in the day in the 70s. They obviously failed. I'm not afraid, but I'm afraid of failure. And uh, it's a constant concern for all of us, I think. Well, then he went on to say, this, this preacher on the radio, if you, if you are satisfied, you're probably far from God. And, and I thought to myself, yeah, I think this guy's on to something, you know, on uh, the Christian radio. Meaning, uh, I think the closer you are to God, the more aware you are of your deficiencies, of your lack of holiness. Because there's this contrast, there's this beautiful God, and then there's us. And there's this dramatic contrast. And, and if you don't see that, you don't know who God is. You don't know God. It sounds kind of harsh, but it's true. If you don't see how holy and beautiful God is, and maybe you just aren't there yet, not being critical, then you don't know anything. You really don't know anything. And so he's saying, you know, you can't be my disciple without a full surrender. And I remember I got to this point when I was in college. I was at Oral Roberts, and they didn't allow alcohol or Raisin cane, they had a lot of things that would throw you out of there, and I didn't want to get thrown out of college because that would pretty much ruin my chances of going to medical school. I've always wanted to be a doctor, as you know. But my senior year, I started getting nervous, that fear. You know, again, I'm not afraid of any three big guys. I've been in bad situations in taverns with three big guys, and I took care of them. I, look, I don't look that tough, but I'm not afraid. and. Uh, but I started to get afraid because I'm thinking, I'm going out in the real world again. I'll, I'll be out of this cocoon, this Christian cocoon called Oral Roberts University. And I'm afraid of what might happen to me. I'm afraid I may backslide. I might deteriorate. I may go back to the old pig pen like, like the uh, 
you know, the prodigal son. You know, he, he, got a, came, he, was at the, he was eaten out of a pig pen, and he came to his senses. He went back to the father. And uh, there was a sermon by E.V. Hill. I don't know if you remember him. Wonderful man. He's gone now with God. He's with God. But he, one of his sermons, he, stay out of the pig pen. Just don't go back to the pig pen. <laughs> and E.V. Hill could say it better than me. Because, and I was afraid. I was afraid I'd go backwards. I'd, I'd come a long way. I've asked God to clean up my life. He did. He did a lot. And, and suddenly I started getting straight A's and I got discipline and I got rid of a lot of things in my life. But I hadn't given God my whole heart until my senior year. And, and this one friend of mine said, you know, you need to, this is where it all, this is where everything, everything you need knows right here. He didn't realize he changed my life. He just wandered into my dorm room. Nice guy. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's it. He's, this guy must, I think God sent this guy to me. I don't think he knows it, but I think he did. And I started reading the Bible. And again, there was that contrast between God's standard and God's love and God's holiness and God's perfection. And there's me. <laughs> and there's a conflict there. There's a there's a, uh, a concern, a, a stress, a tension in my head. But on the flip side of it, as I got to read about Jesus, primarily in the Gospel of Matthew, in the, I think it was the Living Bible. I didn't, never read the Bible in my life. I'm 21 years old, finally read the, started reading the Bible. The Living Bible's easy to read. I still have my Living Bible. I don't use it anymore. It's not a good study Bible, but it's easy. It's a good read for people that are totally illiterate, biblically, like me, grown up Catholic, you didn't need to read the Bible, we'll tell you what's right and wrong, you know, so it's, it was, uh, most Catholics are biblically illiterate, uh, not all, and, uh, but I also, I became quite aware of how low I've, I am and how much trouble I have, how much baggage I got in my brain, how many bad tendencies I have, but on the other hand, I, I got to know who Jesus was. And I thought, I love this guy. I just love this guy. He's wonderful. I started reading these stories. Never seen him before. But obviously the Holy Spirit was guiding my brain that I could understand what I'm reading for the first time in my life. I'm uh, 21 and a half years old. And I kind of fell in love with Jesus. I thought, I, I can... I can love this guy. I can put all my eggs in one basket. They say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And in general in life, that's a true story. But with Jesus, you can put all your eggs in one basket. And they always say that because then if you drop the basket, you'll lose all your eggs, you know. A little parable. But and I thought to myself, I'm going to give him my entire life and, and just total surrender. Total surrender. And when I was 21 years old, I, I, I actually uh, went to a chapel service and I spent three or four hours there, just all the people left. And I just sat in the back of the chapel, kind of weeping, kind of emotional blubbering, but I understood forgiveness for the first time in my life. I never understood forgiveness. I had done some bad things and, and I've been part of bad things and uh, 
or I didn't, I wasn't the uh, author of bad things, but I was part of it. And uh, the first time in my life I understood forgiveness and it was radically changing. What I didn't understand, I, I mean, my life was transformed. I mean, I'm talking about second chapter of Acts type stuff. I mean, if there was tongues of fire on the top of my head, it wouldn't have surprised. I looked in the mirror and said, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> it was radical. And God gave me gifts and all this stuff. And uh, it was a really dramatic change. And I've never been the same. I mean, have I been perfect? No. What, what I, because of lack of teaching on this topic, what I didn't know was, and it wasn't arrogance, it was just stupidity and, and lack of tr teaching, was that once you give everything to God, give him your whole life, total surrender, you, you have everything. My future, my, my, all the people in my lives, of course at that point I had to get rid of all my friends because they were ma maniacs and ex-cons. And so, you know, I had to dump all my friends and uh, all of them, because all the guys I hung out with were terrible people. And, uh, you know, their parents were mafia and all that stuff. If I wrote a book, no one would believe it. But, but uh, you know, you have to re-surrender on a regular basis, if not daily. Because, you know, uh, the old nature can kind of creep back. And, and we can kind of drift away from God. And so, and I've never heard of teaching on this in my life. And I've been at this church, as you know, since 1985. Susan and I, one of the handful of folks that helped start it. But I've never heard teaching on this. That you, there's a, there's a surrender, and then there's a surrender every day, and you have to keep re-surrendering to God, total surrender. You know, like, like uh, nothing held back. Like it's like, well, you can have everything, but this little closet over here. I got some stuff in this little things that are. This is mine, man. This is me. Uh, I don't want you messing with this part of my life. You can have the rest. Total surrender is what Jesus is asking for. And, and uh, you can't be his disciple. You know, and the Great Commission says that we're to make disciples, not decisions. I mean, we've seen videos where people make decisions, and we think that's really cool. Did it, did it last? Who knows? A lot of people will make a decision on a video. And how are they doing in five years? <laughs> Who knows, you know? They might still be in church, or they may have just had a little emotional response to somebody, and then they drifted away. A lot of that stuff happens. And um, we're praying for Ron. You know, he's had a real tough time. He, 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 he experienced God, and, and now he's drifted. So it's a real scary thing. And so there's a cost of discipleship. And if you don't give up everything, you, you can't be my disciple. And I mean everything. You know, I hear a lot of people, and I get it, you know, they miss their loved ones, uh, uh, the death, and, and so people will often talk about if they go to heaven, they, they can't wait to see their mom or their dad or people in their lives, and, and I'm thinking, what about Jesus? You know, do, to me, you know, when I, when, when, I, when I've faced death before in, in recent years, I thought to myself, I may get to see Jesus. I don't want to leave the earth. I, got, I think I got things to do yet. I don't want to leave Susan. But you know, when I was uh, in the ICU with double pneumonia from COVID, you know, about 10% died. Or when they were putting paddles on me to shock my heart, 
because I was going to die if, I, if they didn't about uh, eight, eight years ago. In both cases, I thought to myself, I wonder if I'm going to be seeing Jesus today. It's all the only thought in my mind. <laughs> There's no fear. It was just, maybe I'll see Jesus. And it's like, you know, it sounds strange, but I thought, that'll be okay. I, I had one old lady, I'll never forget her. She was the coolest farmer girl, and she's probably 80-something, and I always got a kick out of her because she was a real farm girl. Uh, I, I asked her, she says, well, I, I have a problem with snakes at the farm, but I just shoot them. I said, what do you use, a shotgun? No, 22. She was that good a shot. She's like 85 years old, and she, she shoots snakes because they get into her feed and stuff like that. But she was having a bleeding ulcer, and it was just bleeding out pretty bad. I had her up in the hospital. I, I said, well, you know, you may, without some transfusions and possibly an operation, you, a scope and maybe an ulcer surgery, you, you may not make it. She said, I'm okay with that. I'm ready to go see Jesus. I said, well, you know, but if I don't do something, no, just forget all that. Just make me comfortable. I want to go see Jesus. And uh, I said, okay. And I, that's her choice, you know. And, and then her bleeding quit after that. It just stopped. And I was checking her blood counts, and it was going like this, and then it just leveled up. And so the next day, I'm seeing her sitting in a chair waiting for Jesus. And, and I'll never forget this, up on fourth floor of the hospital where she was excited. She thought, I, I finally get to see Jesus. It was like a, a kid waiting for a bus to take, take him to Disney World. You know what I mean? Real anticipation. This 85-year-old woman with you know, those kind of glasses that make your eyes look real big. It's cataract. I just, I just love this old lady. And, and I told her, uh, I hate, this may sound strange, but I hate to tell you this, but your blood counts, you stop bleeding. She said, what does that mean? I said, well, I don't think you're going to die. Really? She was pumped. She was pumped. You could see it. She had this look like, I'm going to be seeing you. Now, that's the kind of faith. That's faith. You know, that's faith when you can look death in the eye. And in fact, if you can't look death in the eye, you might not have faith. You may have, you may have some work to do on your faith. If you can't look death in your eye, your faith not, might not be real. doesn't mean you're not saved. But you may have work to do. It, it, you know, the, the scripture says you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You can't work for your salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. But our Christian life isn't just a check in a box. We're to become disciples. And that involves surrender. And that involves being concerned about your walk with God on an ongoing basis. Am I following God? Am I his disciple? Because... People can make a decision and they wander off. And, and, and we've seen it. Everybody knows people that were one-time church members and, and they've, they've gone off the deep end. And, and not just not going to church. They've gotten into other things, the occult. Or, it's very frightening. So he requires full surrender. And, and, uh, and so how do we get there? I think, I think uh, I can say all this stuff and create uh, some anxiety, or I can, to me, it's more like trying to introduce you to the most exciting life you can have, a life with Jesus, a life knowing him and serving him, but knowing him, not just knowing about him. 
You know, it's just like the Israelites that went across the Dead Sea. They saw the fire and the smoke, and they saw the plagues, and they saw God, and they knew God. They saw him right up there, and they knew this is God. And, and those, that generation knew God, and it was based on reality, not, and then their kids learned about him, and their grandkids knew God not. You know, we're always just a couple generations from apostasy, and uh, it's always a fear, and I think that's why our minister has a real uh, burden for the young, because, you know, the, our, my parents, the World War II generation, were, were pretty good people, the greatest generation maybe, and, but uh, I think uh, things have slipped. You know, the number of people that are Christian aren't, that don't describe themselves as Christians, or the other you know, ratios of atheists, terrible and so we but for right now I just want to deal with what do we do about it you know are you in full surrender mode is there any area of your life you haven't surrendered to God and that could be relationships you know for me I had a lot of really bad friends that were crazy and we did crazy things but the, the, the idea that I survived all those 70s the odds were minuscule to survive all the crazy things we did and uh uh, but God protected me because some of those people continued to do those crazy things and within a year of me breaking away from them, they died. You know, so I think God protected us. I don't really know. I can't exactly say why 100% what God has in mind for me, but, but I think uh, a lot of my friends that, that continued in that lifestyle are dead. majority of them are dead from either police chases or murders or drug overdoses. And so, you know, I think this full surrender mode, it could be a thinking of, uh, you know, and I think probably there have been people in the past that have used this idea to control others, whether it's a minister or elders. This isn't about submitting to my authority or any of preachers. No, no, this is, this is about this is the way God expects us to, to live. And if we want to experience this joy, this knowing of God, this is the way we get there. There's no alternative way. We can't just uh, say, hey, all right, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on board. No, we have to give our lives to him. But the flip side of it is we get to know him. We get to know the real living God, the creator of the universe. We get to know him intimately. We have a, a relationship. We hear his voice. We pray to him, and it's not a one-way street. It could be, I mean, your prayers could be, you know, give God your wish list and then move on, or you can stay with him and listen and sometimes just be with him. I've done that. I, those are really magical times, uh, but it's not magic. It's God. It's magic is a bad word, but... but uh, if you love Jesus far greater than anything or anyone in this world, and you're willing to give it all up for him, uh, you'll have a relationship with him that you won't believe. It'll be the most beautiful thing, and it's almost like this is what I was born for. This is why we're here, to have fellowship with God. And this is how it all started. You know, in Eden, Adam and Eve originally walked with God in the garden, and God's plan was always to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with his people, with his, 
and to be a, have friendship and intimate relationship, and then they would never be sick, and they would always have food, and you know, we messed it up. And that's why God got so ticked off about the, I taught this before about, you know, the, the unseen realm, you might say, about the Tower of Babel, where, and ever since then, you know, he, they wanted kings, they didn't want, you know, God dealt directly with the Israelites, but they all wanted a king. They had king envy. Other people had kings. They wanted a king. God didn't like that. He did, Tower of Babel. They were going to send up a representative, and he was going to speak for the people. And it was almost like, you got to negotiate with me, man. People sent me up to the top of this tower, and we're going to talk, and, and I got, you know, I'm going to negotiate with you about this or that. <laughs> and that really ticked them. That was a rebellion. It was a total rebellion of the whole, the whole world. And that's why they were scattered. It was a big deal. It, much, it was just, wasn't some stupid story in Genesis. It, was, it, it had to do with rebellion because they, they, you, know, you, you can forget how God wanted it. If you don't study Genesis, you, you don't get a lot of the scriptures. You don't get God because he, he laid it all out. He wanted to have direct fellowship with us. And he has that through the Holy Spirit and through now with the, since the church age began the second chapter of Acts. We can have fellowship with him one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not just uh, blowing smoke, you know. And so, uh, so these are the sort of attitudes. And, and I think, you know, do you love Jesus far greater than anything or anyone in this world? Are you longing to see him either in death or with his second coming? Are you, are you, you know, the, this church back in the day was, used the term Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. And, and it, it's going to happen in my lifetime, and I'm not young. Jesus is coming back and uh, as a judge. And he's going to make things right, and things are going to be the way they should be, like they were in Eden. And it won't get better until Jesus comes. And so we all need to have that attitude of Maranatha, Jesus come. Is his is coming imminent? I don't think so but we should still be looking forward to it because he laid out in Matthew 24 the, the whole plan. So it's not, his, his coming's not imminent. I know a lot of people says it. Nah, that's not happening. I'll teach about that sometime. But I think, uh, so if we, we haven't arrived at that place in our lives, and then, like I say, you can arrive and then you can slip, and then you have to keep going back to God and re-surrendering. But one thing you need to do is repent. If in your heart you're thinking, you know, that's not me. And I've had the same discussion with God even the last few days. I, I need to, uh, I, I need to re-surrender my life to you. I need, you know, I can't prepare this sermon just off the cuff. This is a big deal to get up here. Bornwell can tell you, you can't just get up here and start talking. You got to be on your knees with God and see, what do you want me to say? It's a big deal to get up here. I think it's, if I'm not scriptural, I'm in trouble. But you have to repent. We all make mistakes. We don't sit there and, and dwell on it. You know, the, Satan would love to just say, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, there's nothing you can do, why bother? You know, that's, the, that's Satan. We do have to repent, ask God to change our hearts, ask God to change our priorities, change our thinking. We gotta do it all the time. I, I've learned the hard way, you might say, and where you gotta keep going back to God. Say, you, know, you need to change my heart, you need to change my thinking and rearrange my priorities. And show me what that means. Because it means something a little different to everybody. 
And, and we need to reevaluate our lives. Do, do our lives, you know, it's like uh, people say things. How many times have you heard the term? Uh, you know, they, people, we all know people that say stuff all the time. They're kind of like con men. They say one thing and do another. They're very irritating. Or, and you don't even want to be around them all. So we can say things to God, but do our lives, do our actions follow it? It's not like works save us, but our, our, our works are a sign of, of, of a change God has, has made. I mean, if I, if I asked God to save me back in the 70s, but I kept going to bars and getting in fights all the time, you know, it would almost be like, well, what evidence is there that, that what you said meant anything? Well, not much. Seemed like a good idea at the time, you know. I, I, so we have to reevaluate our lives and how are we spending our time. And if, if there's anything I, I can, like a take-home message, or what do we do about this, is, uh, uh, is, is how are we spending our time. I love that term because, uh, you know, sometimes Susan has said when, we, we, something happens and we, we've just wasted a chunk of time. Well, I'll never get that time back. You know, we only have so much time. And that's the one thing, when they say spending time, it's like God has given us so much time. How are we spending it? And that pretty much will determine, you know, our rewards in heaven. You, you, you hear the term, you get your reward in heaven because you ain't getting it here. Well, it's really true. I mean, we, we are rewarded for our works. We're not saved by our works, but we're rewarded. We'll have rewards in heaven by serving God. And some people won't. They'll just get in the skin of their teeth. But that's uh, eternity will be determine our rewards. And, and Jesus has said it. I've taught on this before. It's about how are we spending our time? Does, does the way we spend our time and the way we organize our priorities reflect what I've just said? That we are total surrender. You, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Really? Are you willing? You don't have to make that decision a whole lot in America, but a lot of people are making that decision all over the world, in, in Asia and in North Africa. They're, they're being asked, you know, are you a Christian? And if you say yes, you, you, your, head, your head will be rolling down the road, you know. Take your head off. And they do it. And I... I look up to these Christians in Africa and Asia because they'll, they'll be willing to make sacrifice. They got real faith. We, we can learn from those people because they're, uh, they're not going to deny Christ no matter what, even though they know they're not stupid. They, they know that this could be it. But their love for Jesus supersedes their love for their own life and their own families maybe. And they make horrible sacrifices but they're also in heaven. They go right to heaven. So we need to seek God in the scriptures and don't forget the Old Testament. You really, the idea is, oh, Jesus was, God was a nice guy in the New Testament, kind of a rough character in the Old. No, no, it's the same God all the way through. And you won't understand the new if you don't get to know the old because there's so much there. And, and uh, the idea that it's, it's a separate God is, is, is totally false. But I think as you seek and you spend time with God in prayer and in the scriptures, asking him to reveal himself to you. And uh, I think you'll get to know the real deal. Uh, otherwise, you're making it up. You know, you can, 
you can make up God in your own mind, and that's pretty much what our culture does. When, when, uh, when we have a secular culture, it's not necessarily atheistic. They may have this idea about God, but it's, it's a God created in their own image. If, if, if there's something in the Bible that conflicts with what they believe, they reject it. Because, so basically, they won't say at this term, I'm God, you know, I, I make this, I don't like what this book says, so I'm, I'm going to throw it out. Because, and basically, they're saying they're God, they're the judge. And they know everything. They say, you know, I don't understand why God lets children die. Well, you don't know everything. I don't. And I've been medicine for a long time. I've seen all kind of things, 40 years. I don't know everything. You don't know the consequences. You don't know things that could have happened. God does. So the idea that you know more than God about whether someone's life ends or doesn't is, is hogwash. You don't know. That's arrogance. I know a lot. I've got all these degrees, and I've been in, in practice for 40 years of medicine, critical care. And I'm the first to admit it. I don't understand things. I'm not saying they're, they're, they're right or wrong. I, I, but God knows what he's doing. He allows things to happen. And, uh, you know, we're not guaranteed uh, 90 years and, of, uh, of, of perfect health. You know, that's, there, there's people that believe that, that, uh, you know, it's not true. God's, it's not always God's will to heal. It's not. Sometimes it is. I've seen more miracles than anybody you'll ever meet. True miracles. Uh, Well-documented miracles of, of uh, cardiac arrests or long periods of time where the brain's gone and you pray for them and they come back and they wake up. Dramatic stuff. A lot of ICU nurses start going to church after that. It's happened multiple times in, in my career. So I believe in miracles seen them that I know it's a miracle I know what I can do what I can't do does that mean uh, uh, God always heals no in fact sometimes I early in my career I, God would tell me to pray for healing on this person in the ICU and I'd say and I'd argue with them because I was young and stupid I said God, God don't you see that their brain's gone it's fried from lack of oxygen their squad couldn't get there for a long time you know, I was arguing with him. Sort of stupid, but I was young and stupid, you know. <laughs> we get a little smarter with age, hopefully. And it's like, you know, I didn't get an answer. And I thought, all right, I get it. You know, it's, this is what you want. I pray for him, and they wake up. It's happened many times. Does it always happen? No. Does God always tell me to pray for someone for total healing? No. Why is that? I don't know. Because I don't know everything. But I do know if God tells me to pray for a healing on someone, they're going to get healed. It's, it's like a done deal. So, and then there's other times where, you know, you can pray, and it's, it's not God telling me to, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't pray. You always uh, it's obedient to pray for people. But there's times where there can be pretty dramatic stuff. And so, uh, I'm being invaded. So anyhow, that, that, that's... That's the bottom line. I'm not going to go on and on, but, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm opening the door to uh, getting to know God as a person, having a, 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 a relationship with him that has to be on his terms. He demands full surrender to us, not to me or to the preacher, or to this church. You know, that's, that's not what I'm after. I'm after full surrender to, to God and, and being under the authority of the scriptures because uh, his, his word's true. And, and if you're not under that authority, a 
God's word. And uh, you don't know him at all. He, you know, he, he, uh, we come to him on his terms. It's just like in the old days, you know, if you, if you just wandered in in front of the king back in the olden days, hundreds of years ago, you get your head cut. You know, you had to come in at a certain way. There was protocols, and uh, or you just they just haul you out of there and they throw you in prison or execute. So there was ways to approach a king back when kings had absolute authority. It doesn't happen now, but and it's true for God. God uh, has us. He he lays out the terms, and the terms for to to get to know Him and to be His disciple is full surrender and being willing to. Take up your cross to, and and sacrifice everything like he did. He sacrificed everything on the cross uh, for us. So it's not just like he's this tough guy, this dictator. No, he 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 led by example. <laughs> he went to the cross so that we would have life, eternal life. And uh, if you so, this is my uh, this is my challenge to all of us, including me, of seeking God's will, seeking his truth in the word, asking him to show you what this means. You may need to get somebody to help you that has some more experience. Uh, but, uh, but the cost of being his disciple is worth it. To have a relationship with God, a living relationship, two-way street communication, not just grocery list of complaints or wish list and then move on. No, you, you're in his presence. There's been times I've just sat in his presence, and I knew I was in his presence, and there was nowhere I'd rather be. I'd rather be in some Mexican prison in God's presence than anywhere else without him, you know, and uh, uh, because it's just the most beautiful thing there is in life, is having a living relationship with God, the creator of the universe, who communicates with you, who has a relationship with you, a friendship. There's just nothing in it. Everything else is small change. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, show us what this all means to all of us. What does it mean for total surrender to you so that uh, you, we come to you with nothing other than our, our hearts are open to whatever you want. We, we, give us, we give you all of our will, all of our possessions, all of our relationships, everything we give to you but then you've given us eternal life and it starts even here on earth it's just a, it's not the same as heaven we can experience eternal life here on earth and have a, a, a relationship with you and uh, because we all have a, a god-shaped hole in our hearts that only you can fill a lot of people seek after a lot of things and they're trying to substitute other things than god to make them happy to make them fulfilled it doesn't work God, speak to our hearts. Show us what that means. Help us to repent and come to you uh, as, with just open arms and open hearts and, and uh, uh, become your disciples and to, to uh, have that love, to feel it, to know your love and, and you to know our love. That's why we're here. That's why we were put on this earth. So just uh, show us what that means. Uh, I don't know everything. You do, and uh, just uh, direct each one here. And uh, we thank you for your word that illustrates uh, the truth, uh, what uh, what this world's all about, why we're here, what we're 
where we're, where we come from, where we're going. I pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.